What caused them to crucify the most beautiful man that ever walked the face of the earth? What caused them to kill and, and, and crucify and do whatever else they did? The 12 disciples. And John was, a, they attempted to martyr John as well. What caused them to do that? Were they terribly wicked men? Were the disciples of Christ wicked men? They were beautiful men. Amen? They were wonderful men, yet they were tortured and beaten and, and whipped and flogged in the synagogues. What caused the, this outbreak of hatred on the church where they slaughtered, I think it was about 3,000 people died in the first great persecution in Jerusalem, which caused the disciples to spread out into the countryside. What caused that? Were they doing something terrible? They weren't. They weren't. What's caused people to hate Jesus Christ today? What causes them to hate and slander us as the most wicked, vile people on the planet? So that we're scared to even mention that we're Christian. There's only one name behind it all. Satan. Right? Evidence. Satan is real. Why? Because Christians are hated. Why? For no apparent reason. Except a dirty, rotten angel who's got it in for us. He had it in for Jesus. He's had it in for his disciples. And he's had it in for every single person who testifies to the truth from that day forward. And he'll do everything in his power to keep you from being Christian if he can. He'll turn a Christian pagan if he can. I was watching um, Jim Caviezel. And Jim Caviezel was, played Jesus in the Passion. And he said, how much, what's it going to cost Satan to get you? Are you, is it going to cost you, will it cost him a million bucks to get you? Will it cost him 10 million to get you? Well, Satan will spend whatever he has to spend. Money means nothing to him, he's got an endless supply of it. How many Christians can he convert? To paganism how much money will it cost him he'll spend it he'll do whatever he can to keep you out of the house of God he'll do whatever he can to keep you out of the prayer meeting he'll do whatever he can to keep you from being Christian from reading the Bible from living the Christian life the way we know we're meant to live according to the Bible according to a history of wonderful men and women of God that's gone before us, who have shown us how to live, he's going to try his darndest to keep us from being like that, especially now. He's got more power to do it now than ever. He's got more mediums to do it through, to keep us from being who we're meant to be, from, to keep us from taking up our cross. Amen? He doesn't want us to take up our cross. You know, a Christian with a cross on his back is dangerous. A Christian with a cross on his back can convert the nations. A Christian filled with the Holy Spirit will do what no man can do. The glory of God can be seen on this planet through a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit 
baptized, empowered, anointed with Jesus Christ behind him, with Jesus Christ in front of him, with Jesus Christ at his side. That's the sort of Christian I want to be. Lord Jesus, I need you now. And I pray that uh, everyone here will receive the word that is about to be spoken. May it come straight from the throne of God. May you use me just to impart it, but Lord, may it be all of you. And I pray uh, that every single person here will receive a powerful anointing from the Holy Spirit to uh, really run with what they get taught today and that this, this sermon and sermons like it will be the turning point in this church and will help our church to start to grow as it's meant to grow. And uh, I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Uh, so just be with me now. Be with every single one of us now. Amen. Okay, so this, this sermon's called Calling on the Name of the Lord. And uh, I think it's a... Well, I haven't preached it yet, but I think it's going to be a, a, a very important sermon. Let's hope so. So make sure you're praying for me as I'm uh, preaching this. Just before I get started... Um, how did, how did the prayer partners go this week? Yep. Did you find that, that you, were, you were more in prayer than normal? That's awesome, awesome. I was getting texts from Ben and Sophie who can't be here today and uh, Ben and Sophie are prayer partners. We got 13 prayer partners, which is just an amazing thing for, you know, that's nearly all of you. Yeah. And those of you that aren't my prayer partners, I want you to be my prayer partners. So I'm not letting up on you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep talking to you about it um, because really what it comes down to is if, if we get praying, if we get praying how we're meant to, then this church is going to turn around. It's, it's simply that. Every church that has ever been in a situation like this, um, when the, the saints of that church got to prayer, then the church turned a corner and uh, started to become all it was meant to become. Now, yesterday I met with Stephen. We had a coffee up in uh, Blackwood in a beautiful little restaurant there. Um, it was called, what was it called again? Uh, Montagna. Montagna. I advise you all to go up there and check it out. It's a beautiful Italian restaurant. And uh, we, we had a chat. Now, Stephen said something to me which I sort of took a note of when he said it. And it's funny you said it because I've actually had the same impression in relation to it, if I can get it open. And he said this, uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing, the people of this church currently are the seeds of the growth of this church. That God is, you guys are the seeds. You guys are being planted into the house of God and this church is going to grow according to what comes of you and the, the fruit that sort of comes in your life. And, and it's going to... Magnifying you, of course, you're going to grow stronger as Christians, but you're also going to see lots of other Christians come as well, and they're going to get planted in this house as well, and we're going to flourish. Was that sort of the essence of what you were saying, Stephen? Yeah. It's like where Jesus, of course, is the cornerstone. He's the, he's the foundation of the church, but we are his, he has placed us as keystones in the building of this church. And upon this church... Uh, upon the stones of this church here now, this core group, which in a sense it's only been the core group showing up for 
three, four weeks in a row now, hearing some of what I think are some of my most powerful messages that I think I've ever done, personally, especially with the New Testament survey that we've been doing as well. So there's just been this really powerful sense that God's actually preparing you guys for a move of the Spirit in your life, a move of prayer. And, and that's why I'm, I'm going down this line and I want to talk to you about these things. Yeah, I just want to, I really want to promote our, the prayer meetings of this church. We have a Wednesday night prayer meeting at 7.30, which is a really, like last week was a really powerful meeting. We had, I think, twice what we normally have. So ne- nearly everyone was there. And then there was, we have the, this morning's prayer meeting at 9.30. Now, you have to say, was that a pretty powerful meeting this morning? Yeah. It was a really awesome sense. Now, what we're trying to do is trying to get here by or be just before 9.30 so we can be out there praying. And the Spirit really took off this morning in, 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 the, uh, in the little meeting that we had. Um, but I also felt that many of you had been in prayer before you got here. And I think that that really aided to the uh, anointing. You know, So really what we're, what we're coming to, and it's, it's not just for this church and for me that you should be praying, but it's for a move of God generally among our families and among our friends. You know, how many unbelievers do you personally know? Do you think you know more unbelievers than believers? Yep. How far more unbelievers do you know than believers? Numerous amounts. Like in our family, we know, you know, most. Most are unbelievers. So something has to be done because Jesus is very unpopular in this day and age. Extremely unpopular. Who would agree with that? You know, if you say you're Muslim, people go, cool. If you say you're Buddhist, oh, wow, you're a Buddhist, are you? You're a Hindu, oh, right, that's interesting. You're a Christian, oh, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. You know, it's interesting how people perceive a Christian. Soon as you mention, like uh, Veena and I, um, our daughter plays basketball, and there's a, a, a certain person in the basketball team that I mentioned that I'm a pastor. And up until that moment, very friendly, very open, hi, how are you? And the moment I said I'm a pastor of a Christian church, she just reared back and went, oh, like that. Ever since then, she hasn't been able to look me in the eye. She will walk up to a group of us and, hello, hello, look at everybody except me. It's just interesting. I just perceive these reactions in these people and how they strayed away because I'm a Christian. Now, what's made them like that? The last time a Christian strapped a bomb to himself and blew up a bus of tourists, when, when was the last time that happened? When was the last time you heard of a Christian, you know, robbing a bank? You know what I mean? When was the last time, you know, apart from Catholicism and the priests and the stuff that they bring to light there, um, what, when was the last time a, a Christian's done something extremely bad? Is there a reason for it? Is there a reason for this hatred towards Christians and Jesus Christ generally? There isn't. It's been manipulated through the mediums of TV and cinema. You know, Veena and I, will, nearly every movie we've watched for the last two years, how, how long is in the movie does it go before we hear Jesus Christ as, used as a swear word? About 10 minutes? And there it goes. Jesus Christ, there it is. 
Away they go. Jesus Christ, just been slandered, developing this cultural use of the name Jesus Christ as a swear word, as a byword. Downgrading Jesus to a swear word. He's the word of life and he's now been made the word of, of contempt, a term of contempt. So what's causing that? What's causing this hatred towards Christianity for no apparent reason? And what, what has caused it since day dot? What's caused it since Jesus Christ was crucified? What caused them to crucify the be most beautiful man that ever walked the face of the earth? What caused them to kill and, and, and crucify and do whatever else they did? The 12 disciples. And John, was a, they attempted to martyr John as well. What caused them to do that? Were they terribly wicked men? Were the disciples of Christ wicked men? They were beautiful men. Amen? They were wonderful men, yet they were tortured and beaten and, and whipped and flogged in the synagogues. What caused the, this outbreak of hatred on the church where they slaughtered, I think it was about 3,000 people died in the first great persecution in Jerusalem, which caused the disciples to spread out into the countryside. What caused that? Were they doing something terrible? They weren't. They weren't. What's caused people to hate Jesus Christ today? What causes them to ha hate and slander us as the most wicked, vile people on the planet? So that we're scared to even mention that we're Christian. There's only one name behind it all. Satan. Right? Evidence. Satan is real. Why? Because Christians are hated. Why? For no apparent reason. Except a dirty, rotten angel who's got it in for us. He had it in for Jesus. He's had it in for his disciples. And he's had it in for every single person who testifies to the truth from that day forward. And he'll do everything in his power to keep you from being Christian if he can. He'll turn a Christian pagan if he can. I was watching um, Jim Caviezel. And Jim Caviezel was, played Jesus in The Passion. And when you hear of his account, who's seen that? You, oh, man. That, that was the most powerful thing to hear. And he said, how much, what's it going to cost Satan to get you? Are you, is it going to cost you, a, will it cost him a million bucks to get you? Will it cost him 10 million to get you? Well, Satan will spend whatever he has to spend. Money means nothing to him, he's got an endless supply of it. How many Christians can he convert? To paganism. How much money will it cost him? He'll spend it. He'll do whatever he can to keep you out of the house of God. He'll do whatever he can to keep you out of the prayer meeting. He'll do whatever he can to keep you from being Christian. From reading the Bible. From living the Christian life the way we know we're meant to live according to the Bible. According to a history of wonderful men and women of God that's gone before us, who have t shown us how to live, he's going to try his darndest to keep us from being like that. 
especially now. He's got more power to do it now than ever. He's got more mediums to do it through, to keep us from being who we're meant to be, from, to keep us from taking up our cross. Amen? He doesn't want us to take up our cross. You know, a Christian with a cross on his back is dangerous. A Christian with a cross on his back can convert the nations. A Christian filled with the Holy Spirit will do what no man can do. The glory of God can be seen on this planet through a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, empowered, anointed, with Jesus Christ behind him, with Jesus Christ in front of him, with Jesus Christ at his side. That's the sort of Christian I want to be. And who knows, that's, it's hard to take up your cross. We must. We must. He says, unless you do, you're not worthy of me. There's no option here, guys. It's not, shall I take up my cross today? It's nothing, no option. He said, you take it up. Or you're not worthy of me. Or just get out of my kingdom. I don't want you. You know how many Christians don't believe that they're called to martyrdom? And guess what's the funny thing about that? The word martyr in Greek is martus, and you know what it means? Witness. So what they're saying is, I'm not called to being a witness. I'm not supposed to witness. So they don't think they're called to witness for God. We're called to take up our cross. If we love our life, we will lose it. But if we lose it for Jesus Christ, we will. Yes. That's Christianity. And that's why we're having so much trouble. That's why the church, we don't take up our cross in the prayer closet. It's true prayer is burdensome. True prayer will have you on your knees in tears. True prayer will turn this church around. True prayer will turn Christianity around in this nation. If we can just get 10 people praying properly, praying according to the will of God, we can shake the nation. And if you don't believe that's true, it's because lack of faith. It's lack of faith, lack of understanding, lack of belief in what this says. It tells us that's the case. Amen. It tells us that's the case. That if, you, if two or more are gathered together and believe and agree, what's going to happen? It's going to be done. So th- what does that mean? If we believe, if we believe, and there's the problem, we've got to believe. If we pray that this nation will be touched by God and we'll see millions converted to Christianity, and if we truly believe that, until it brings us to tears, it's going to happen. 
Amen. It's going to happen. Genesis 4.26. This is back right in the beginning. This was before uh, Moses. This was before the flood. This is before the law. This was before anything. Before the Hebrew race. Before Ab- Abraham. And it says in verse 26, Seth. Remember Seth was the son that they had after this Cain slayed Abel? Seth was born. And they, he had a son and he named him Enosh. And it says this, At that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord has been innate in the human race since the beginning. This was right back in the time of Adam and Eve. They had Cain and Abel, Cain slayed Abel, then they had Seth. And at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. You know, we need to call on the name of the Lord. There's going to be a time when we'll look back and say, Blessed Hope Chapel began to call on the name of the Lord. And we began to beseech him. We began to reach out to him with everything in us. For the reality of our belief to come to fruition. For the reality of our belief to be recognizable. For the reality of our belief to impact our community. That people will truly become Christian. You know, I'm believing, I don't believe for a big church. If God sends a big church, I believe that will, will be the case because there's a couple of people in this church who have had visions of it. I'm not believing for that, though. I'm believing that the people of this church will be cross-bearers, that the people of this church will be powerful and bold in speech, bold in life, holy priests of God Most High. That's what I'm believing. That we can truly be Christian in the pure sense. Deuteronomy 4.7, just go a little, few books forward. So this is God speaking and he says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them? The way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. Our God is near to us whenever we pray to him. Amen. Psalm 4.3. Let's go there. See, the promises are in the Bible. When we pray, he is near to us. And it says, know that the Lord has set apart the godly. Who? The godly. It doesn't say know that the Lord has set the pagans apart for himself, does it? The godly. There's a little bit of an uh, explanation into why some of us might not have our prayers answered. Because he sets the godly apart for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. If we are set apart by God as godly, as holy, then he will hear when we call. He will hear when we call. And that's the secret to effective prayer. 
He won't hear an ungodly, unholy person. And, you know, I'm, I'm constantly having to check myself because it's so easy to not be holy, isn't it? From week to week, from day to day, it's so hard to maintain that holiness. It's so easy to fall from it. And we, then we wonder why our prayers are ineffective. Ineffective. Faith and prayer go hand in hand. Uh, I read this in my book, God's Heart Cry for Revival. And I was going to, anyone here that um, hasn't read it, I'd really encourage you to read it. And if you have read it, read it again. Because I think it, it's going to set the tone for what we're trying to achieve here. Because I, I feel that book was so many years ahead of its time that I believe it's for now. I believe what I've written in that book is for, for this moment. And uh, I know Matthew, when his first book he read, Christian book, was that book, wasn't it? Did that set the tone for your Christian life? Yeah. Wouldn't be bad going back and revising it, bringing it back into perspective again. Uh, excuse the spelling errors and various grammatical errors in that book. If you don't like it, you can get my e-book off the internet now, which is the more updated version. I still need my son to read it one day and edit it for me. But I wrote this. I said, faith and prayer go hand in hand. You simply cannot pray and believe for anything without faith. On the other hand, if you want faith, you should start praying and believing. So you can, cannot pray without faith and you cannot have faith without prayer. A bit of a conundrum, isn't it? But you exercise faith in prayer. You exercise faith in prayer. Faith and prayer go hand in hand. And Ian Bounds, he said this, in the ultimate issue, prayer is simply faith. That's what faith is. People say, have you got faith? I'll say, well, I pray. Well, according to your prayer life, let your faith be. You know what I mean? Like Smith Wigglesworth had great faith, didn't he? But he also was powerful in prayer. They reckon he did never let an hour go by without praying for at least 20 minutes. What a man of God. Every hour he would have prayed for at least 20 minutes, yet he could lay hands on people and see them healed. It was powerful. John G. Lake was the same. Powerful, powerful man of God that prayed and prayed and prayed. Charles Finney would pray up to four hours in the morning before he'd get up and get going. He'd be up at four o'clock, pray till eight. Little wonder he'd walk out in the street and people were dropping on their knees in front of him. Saying, I don't know what it is. As soon as I saw you, I just felt conviction of sin. Because the Holy Spirit's all over that man. So he's Bounds said, in the ultimate issue, prayer is simply faith. Moreover, when faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. If you don't pray, your faith is dissipating. Enough of your life without prayer, and you will eventually not even know what it is to be Christian anymore. Because when it comes down to it, a true Christian is a man of faith, and faith is exercised in prayer, and it is prayer. So they go hand in hand. So if faith ceases to pray, it ceases to live. Prayer projects faith on God and God on the world. Only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer move God. Amen? Who knows that's true? Faith is kept alive by prayer. That's how you keep it alive. If you want more faith, if you want to have faith to pray for people and see them healed, get into the prayer closet. 
Pray. Pray until you become the man of God that you always hoped you would be or the woman of God you always hoped to be. If you carry a powerful prayer life in your morning and uh, evening regime, if you do it every single day, if you're in that place of prayer all the time, you're going to have a, an incredible life ministry. You're going to have things occur in your ministry that is just going to be mind-blowing. Jim Simbala, he said this, Prayer is the most essential thing found in the Bible along with faith in God. And the only way to know where there is real faith is where there is prayer. Because if somebody really believes in God, they instinctively begin to call upon the name of the Lord. That was the quote that I got that I um, named this sermon from. Then they became the call on the name of the Lord, which also is the scripture. So if you really believe in God, you will begin to call on the name of the Lord. So if you're not calling on the name of the Lord, let that be a sign to you that your faith is dissipating and your belief is dissipating. And you need to supercharge it. Amen? You need to do something to make your faith soar again, something to make you believe again. And it's only found in prayer. You need to get into prayer. So private prayer. It's important. Andrew Murray said, Let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Is that a good prayer? Yeah, who should pray that every day? Let it become the most beloved spot on earth. Let that time of prayer be your most treasured and cherished time. Let it be a time that you can't wait to get out of bed to, to get into prayer. And if you don't have that feeling towards it, Pray what Andrew Murray just prayed. And he said it to the Lord. He said, Oh Lord, or oh, let the place of secret prayer become to me the most beloved spot on earth. Let it become to you the most beloved spot on earth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The entire day receives order and discipline when it acquires unity. This unity must be sought and found in morning prayer. The morning prayer determines the day. Who knows that's true? Who feels it when you run off to, to do your daily activities and you haven't prayed? Who feels the difference? Yeah? Do you sort of carry a sense of guilt all day? Do you, well, am I alone? Am I the only one? Because I do. Who, who feels that way in here? If you don't pray in the morning, do you, do you feel guilty? Yeah? And your day doesn't run smoothly. Well, it's, it's a, that's a funny thing, you know, because sometimes when you, when, you, when you pray a lot in the morning, your day can run actually worse sometimes. It's like you open yourself up to all sorts of things. Sometimes I've found the most that praying that I've done, the more disturbances eventuate. Does that mean we stop praying? It means we pray all the more. All the more, because what you're doing is you're stirring up someone. Remember that enemy of the soul, the one that hates Jesus, the one that hates us so much? That's all we're doing. We're stirring him up. And the more prayer you do, expect the more resistance. The more you seek Jesus, the more he's going to get his nose out of joint. But know what's going on when you go out into the world and things don't start working, going your way. Go to your car, go to your office, whatever. Lock yourself in there and say, Lord, what's going on? I come against this move of, of evil in the name of Jesus. And stand against it firmly. It's an interesting life we lead, isn't it? 
being Christian on this planet at this time, you know? You know, it, it, when you hear, who, who feels like this is the only place there is? Do you sort of get that sense sometimes? Yeah, I, I do. I, I feel sometimes like, oh, you know, life is, this is life. and It's as bad as it is and as good as it is, this is it. But this is just the passing phase. This is just a, a flash. It's going to be gone one day. You know, um, who, who can recall, you know, what you did at five years old and six years old and stuff? Who can recall that? Yeah, I can. I can recall certain elements of it, right? Does that now, does that memory seem like a sort of hazy memory? You know what I mean? You're thinking back, it's all hazy. So the reality that we lived then is now hazy. Guess what? The reality we have right now is hazy. It's going to be in time, it's going to be a hazy memory. And Jesus has promised that the reality to come is clarity, clear, and it's eternal. And this time is going to seem like it never existed. But, get this, everything about our eternal life is determined by this hazy time. And we can either get lost in the world, we can either get caught up in doing everything that everyone else does and working nine to five and, and you know, going out with friends and, and doing all that stuff, that hazy stuff, that pagan life that we get pulled into and we can leave Jesus out of the equation all week and on weekends too for many weeks. You know what I'm saying? And then we can miss it. And one day Jesus is going to meet with us. Hopefully later rather than sooner and you know my my views on this judgment day i sent a judgment day text to a few people i think two or three people i just sort of quickly sent it out you know remember keep your eye on judgment i don't know who i sent it to um i think it was anthony and anthony was at work and he goes oh what did i do what's going on (laughs) freaked him out a little bit sorry anthony (laughs) gotta be careful what i write in texas so um that's good. That's a good bit of, bit of guilt <laughs> snapped it to attention. But, you know, we need to have that wake-up call every day. Uh, how many times have you heard me say, live your day uh, every morning, pray, Lord, help me to focus on judgment. Help me to keep my eye on the judgment seat of Christ. You know, because judgment's coming. That's really what this life's all about. And I've said it a million times. And you know what? Those words that I've said will not come back void. It will happen just as I've said. And you can take them or leave them now in this hazy little life and then it's going to come upon you and impact you when the reality of it strikes. Because the reality of it is a million, jillion times worse than the way I'm describing judgment. But there's going to be a judgment and we're all going to be held to account and there's going to be many that will be thrown into eternal destruction. As unsavory as that sounds in this modern day to talk about the reality of hell and say that there'll be many discarded on that day. And Jesus says many of them will be professed Christians discarded 
gone forever. And just me talking about it upsets people. People don't like hearing it. Like I've told you, there's a guy that won't come to this church. Why? Because I preach about hell. They don't like it. But that's the reality. That is a reality, and that is going to be the only reality many people are going to know forever and ever and ever. They're hazy. They'll be looking back on their hazy life, hoping to get a glimpse of a memory, make it a little bit clearer, just to ease their suffering. Just a little bit. If I can just have one nice memory in this terrible, terrible place, maybe it won't hurt so much. And they'll go back through their memory. Where is the good memories? There's a saying, and I'm going to try to quote it without knowing it very well. Um, that to the Christian, this, is as, this life is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. But to the, to the non-believer... This is close to as to heaven as this is ever going to be. So we're right there in the middle. Hell's down here, heaven's up there. We're there. Now you've got to choose. You're going to choose. You're going to live for heaven? Well, start living now in this hazy little life and then your life will have meaning. And you know how it has meaning? If it means something to Jesus, it has meaning. It doesn't have meaning because you tell yourself you've got meaning now. Because I found my reason and it's about helping people and being a nurse or whatever. Or belonging or giving money to a charity. I've got meaning and purpose. No, that's not meaning and purpose. That's just a good work. means nothing eternally. What means something eternally is Jesus Christ and him in our life now and we live with him, we take up our cross and we pray every day as we should because if you're not praying every day, it's hard to claim to have faith and be a Christian. You'll have a kind of a Christian attitude or an outlook but you're not living the Christian life. Because living the Christian life means you pray. Amen? That's what it's about. Prayer. And living to see others come to know Jesus Christ. And to live for the thing that Jesus died for. What did Jesus die for? Jesus died for his... I want to hear it. For his church. Jesus died for his church. Do you know why I'm a pastor? You know why I'm a pastor? Well, I try to, I'll, I'll rephrase that. You know why I try to be a pastor? <laughs> but you know why? Because a long time ago I realized that I'm going to live for the thing that Jesus died for. And I will die for the thing that Jesus rose from the dead for. And that's his church. And I thought, if, just, if I can just live like that, if I can just live for the, for the church, the church that Jesus died for, because you know what? Jesus died for anyone who would come to him, didn't he? And everyone who comes to him are his church. So Jesus died for the church. That's it. Because if you're not in the church, you're not saved. That's as simple as it is. You can't be a Christian and live on your own 
outside of the body of Christ because then that's the whole reason he called it a body. It's an analogy. It's a body. Meaning, can a finger exist if you cut it off and throw it over there on the ground? How long will that finger live on its own on the ground? The body will continue to live, fingerless, maimed. The hand won't be as good. But the finger will perish. You know what I mean? That's the church. The church is stronger when you're there. The church is stronger if you're here in the church. If you're not here, we're missing fingers, we're missing eyes, we're missing ears, we're missing limbs. We're maimed. The church is maimed. You know, we desperately need each other, desperately need each other to be a true, genuine church. Is that right? How different the world would look, how different the state of our nation would be if there were more sanctified priestly souls. These are souls who have the power to bless for they intercede with sanctified hearts. They never begin their daily time of intercessory prayer without having first brought to the cross all that is unholy in their lives. Who does that? When you begin to pray, you start praying and then you realise, oh man, I'm filthy. Lord, forgive me. We've got to bring to the cross our unholy lives. We've got to say, Lord, please take it. Forgive me. Forgive me. As they say, now your unholy life to the cross and leave it there so that their old self can be crucified there with Jesus, the sacrificial lamb. Corporate prayer. Charles Spurgeon said, oh yes, the prayer meeting is the place to meet with the Holy Ghost. And this is the way to get his mighty power. If we would have him, we must meet in greater numbers. We must pray with greater fervency. We must watch with greater earnestness and believe with firmer steadfastness. The prayer meeting is the appointed place for the reception of power. Do you know when the church was born, what were they doing? They were praying. They had all gathered together and were praying. That's what the church was. It's birthed in prayer. And what did the church continue to do after it was born? Continued to pray as a church. And actually the, the um, disciples wanted to pray that much that they actually passed off their duties to others. Why? So that they could go about the business of praying. They don't want to be waiting on tables because this is how good-hearted these men were. There would have been hundreds and hundreds, thousands, five thousand. And what were the twelve disciples doing? Waiting on tables. <laughs> They're up walking up the tables here. Have some bread. Have some fish. Passing it all around. They're spreading it around and they're doing all the work and everyone else is sitting back saying, gee, these guys are nice guys. But they got to a point they're going, man, you know what? I haven't prayed all day because all I've been doing is waiting on tables all day long. It's like a restaurant in here. So they passed off those duties so that they could get about the business of prayer. That's how important it is. We've got to get about the business of prayer. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. You know, I can vouch that that's the truth. A.T. Pearson said that. 
Every book of, of revival that I've ever read says that it was through united corporate prayer that the revival was birthed. It's always been that way right throughout history. The church began that way and every move of God ever since has, has been that way. Charles Spurgeon said, Shall I give you yet another reason why you should pray? I have preached my very heart out. You know what? That, when I read that, I go, man, that's me. I have preached my heart out. I could not say any more than I have said. Will not your prayers accomplish that which my preaching fails to do? I come in here, I pr pr preach with everything I've got every week. You know it. You know it. It's true. And yet, it fails. It falls on deaf ears. It fails to accomplish that for which I intend it to accomplish. The words are true. The doctrines are true. But something's missing. Something's missing. It's not getting out there and impacting the hearts and the souls of the people and causing them to go to the next level, causing them to change, causing them to spread the word of God and for the people to come in. That's what it's failing to do. And I, I feel so, sometimes, you know how I feel? I feel that unempowered that I feel like nearly calling off and saying, you know what, I'll just... I don't know if I can get up here and say anything else. What else can I say? What else can I say? How much more beseeching of the people can I do? And still nothing. Not to say you guys aren't affected. I know you are. I, and I believe personally, I think we've all come a long way. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a move of God that will sweep thousands into the kingdom of God. I'm talking about a move of God that will make you guys shine like saints and holiness to exude out of you and a prayer life that without even trying, you're praying two hours in the morning and two hours at night and it's just flowing out of you like, like the air you breathe. That's what I'm believing for. And my preaching, even though I say these things, it fails to accomplish it. So there's only one place left uncharted territory and what I mean by that is not that we don't pray but there's a path of prayer that we're on at the moment as a church we're starting to move upon and the church is starting to uh, sort of get, get its focus the prayer meetings that we've been having lately and this morning's prayer meeting is evidence to me that we're on to something that actual prayer meeting in there resembled some prayer meetings that we were a part of many years ago when a move of God came upon the church. But it was quickly stopped, and I, I explained why in our book, in the book God's Heart Cry for Revival, I explained what actually happened, and it, it just was stopped as it was incepted, it was cut down. And it, was, it never came back. It's like the Holy Spirit was grieved, and okay, you don't want me here, I'm not coming. And, but I felt that again this morning in prayer. I felt a bubbling forth of prayer in everybody's heart was bubbling forth in prayer. And I know it was due to the prayer uh, partner ministry that we started last week. And you know, there's two wonderful people um, from our internet ministry, our internet church, we could call it, um, we, uh, Tammy Levesque and a lady by the name of Brenda who also praying for, 
part of the prayer team. And I am yet to tell all the people in the uh, uh, international ministry, you know, and international ministry, invite them to become our prayer partners. Um, but that could be very exciting because we could get, hopefully, you know, another dozen people wanting to partner with us. Now, the thing with partnering, if you haven't partnered already, there's a few of you that haven't. If you, uh, it, it is a commitment in the sense that you will try every day to go through a number of prayer points. And they're key prayer points. Um, who, who was saying it? Um, a number of people. I think Ben and Sophie were saying that it's made her far more resolute in her prayers, especially in relation to, for, for me personally and for the church. Um, she knows exactly what to sort of pray about. And these prayer points just give them, give you that impetus to keep on praying more and more. I've preached my very heart out. I could not say any more than I have said. Will not your prayers accomplish that which my preaching fails to do? That's what I'm saying to you. Will your prayers accomplish what my preaching fails to do? Could your prayers turn this church around? Could your prayers do the very thing that I've been struggling every week for years to try to accomplish and have never accomplished it. That's how important you are. That's how important your prayers are. And you know what? If you, if you think, oh, yeah, well, my prayers, you know, well, what can my prayers do? You know, I, I pray, I pray for you, and I lift you up every day. You don't realize your prayers have so much weight if you would just believe it. Your prayers have gravity. The, the least of the saints on the planet have the power through prayer, if they only realize it, have so much power in prayer that they can shake nations, or not them personally, they can cause God to shake the nations. Amen? But what, what happens is we, we set ourselves a paradigm about ourselves. We think, well, I've never seen anything happen in the past through my praying. I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, and nothing's ever happened. But what you're doing as a body, once you belong to the church and you're committed to the church and you commit to a prayer movement in the church, suddenly you're pulled into a movement. And suddenly the momentum of that movement sweeps you and causes you to pray like you've never prayed before and things start to take place like never before. I'm saying that because I've in part seen it happen but also because I've heard from some of the greatest moves of God that have ever happened on this planet that that's what took place, that the people were swept into a prayer movement. So now's the time to get in. Now's the time to get in and connect with this new initiative in this church. And if you get in and get praying, you watch, you watch. Especially I believe God's calling us as a whole church to be part of this. And, and to really get behind this. And I'm talking about the daily prayer. You're all, please, you're all welcome to come to Wednesdays. And you know what, as I, as I was saying last week, the barometer of this church will be measured on a Wednesday night by who attends. And the power of that is enormous because last week we, we you know, had a lot of us and it was a really powerful meeting. And um, <clears throat> what I'm seeing is uh, as, as we're, uniting in that, that God is starting to put a heavier burden on everybody to pray more at home. Who's, who's found that? That that prayer meeting on the Wednesday night just stimulates you to pray more through the rest of the week. Is that right? 
Yeah. So, um, and once you start praying for me every day and as a prayer partner, you'll find you'll want to be at the prayer meetings because you want to be a, among us. You know what I'm saying? But I believe that this church will start to forge forward when pretty much when most of you are there. An unknown minister said, you can tell, and I read this last week, you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular the pastor evangelist is by who comes on Sunday night. <clears throat> and you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. Isn't that interesting? And guess what? Pretty well universally, <clears throat> except in countries where there's great persecution or revivals, um, the prayer meeting is generally the least attended meeting of the week to the point where some of the largest churches have a, a prayer meeting of three or four people. And it, it's terrible that, that churches can try to exist on so little prayer. It's like if prayer meeting is the engine of the church, it's like you've got a Kenworth truck and you're trying to put a VW motor in there, you know, a little beetle, and you're trying to run a big Kenworth with a, you know, a train of, uh, behind it you know, with a little tiny engine. We can't do it. The only way that thing is going to move forward is by self-promotion. But we want God promotion, amen? We want God to build this thing. I don't want to go and put an ad on Life FM. Come along to Blessed Hope Chapel, best place in town. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to waste God's money doing that. Because I think we're trying to achieve it through the wrong means. God wants this church to pray and he's keeping it small until we do. So if your heart is for Blessed Hope Chapel, if your heart is to be part of this, then let God move you. Let God move you. Anthony and Lena, the other week, two, I think two weeks ago, you came to the prayer meeting and, and Lena came in and she, you know, she's not used to praying corporately. And I said, just come, just come. Were you blessed? How beautiful was the worship at the end? Wasn't that amazing? And then I, that's when I heard Lena, her voice. <laughs> you know? And out of nowhere, this beautiful, we were singing, um, I think it was He is Lord. And it was like angels were singing with us. Because it couldn't have possibly been you guys. It sounded too good. So it's beautiful harmonies. Well, who's singing that harmony? Is that you, Stephen? <laughs> Must be an angel. But that's the power of prayer and you don't have to pray you can just be there it doesn't say if wherever two or more are gathered together and and what um and you speak heaps and heaps of prayers there i am in the midst of you and, and agree it just says you've got to agree doesn't it you just got to agree so you can come in and all the prayers the prayers coming up and and you just agree you don't have to voice a prayer and it's a wonderful way to be introduced into it and get into the the spirit of the movement that is developing in this church. And as you get more and more comfortable with it, there will be a moment where you won't be able to hold yourself in. You're going to burst forth into a prayer. Who's had that experience in a prayer meeting? Well, you can't hold it in. Because we used to pray around, you know, in, in turn, because I used to try to get everyone to have a pray. But now we just pray, you know, the way we spontaneously everywhere. And uh, sometimes you just can't help it. You just can't help it. You burst forth with prayer. And that's when you know it's spirit-led because it's, it's welling up inside you. I've got this prayer. Please stop so I can pray it. You know? 
today we just burst into prayer. Everyone was praying at the same time, so, which is good. And, and I, I like doing that because there's a real amazing atmosphere. And we're all praying at once. It was this beautiful thing where everyone was sort of uttering prayers. No one, I couldn't tell what anyone was saying in particular. Little bits here and little bits there. Then all of a sudden one voice raised above the rest and that was the prayer that we all sort of focused on but we focused on with agreement. And it was amazing, wasn't it? It was amazing. So you can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting and I believe that's true. Prayer, this, this Wednesday night prayer meeting should be the most important meeting of the week. This is the power. This is where it's going to all happen. That's the turning point in the church, the prayer meeting. Sunday is just like the you know, icing on the cake. It's the fruit of, of, the, of the week. But the week's prayer centered on prayer Wednesday night, and I like it, right in the smack bang in the middle of the working week. So if you, you've worked a couple of days and you're getting a bit weary, Wednesday comes, bang, you get recharged, and then you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then you've got Sunday, and we, and we come here at 9.30, we get into prayer again, and we keep praying all week, and it's just like this momentum gets built up, built up. Okay, I'm nearly finished, guys. Passionate prayer from the movie The Passion. There is neither encouragement nor room in Bible religion for feeble desires, listless efforts, this is bounds, lazy attitudes. All must be strenuous, urgent, ardent, flame desire, impassioned, unwearied insistence, delight heaven. God would have his children incorrigibly, that's a tough word, I've got the actual meaning here, but it's changed into Greek letters. It's like unchanging. I don't know why that is. I'll need Vina to come and read this for me. So God would have his children incorrigibly, which is like unchangeably. Sorry? Incorrigibly. 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 <laughs> Incorrigibly. Incorrigibly. In earnest and why did he use that word? <laughs> Is that in the King James Bible, that word? All right. God would have his children praying in earnest and persistently bold in their efforts. Heaven is too busy to listen to half-hearted prayers or to respond to pop calls. Our whole being must be in our praying. And I'll read a few other quotes too. If you find your life of prayer to be always so short and so easy and so spiritual as to be without cost and strain and sweat to you, you may depend upon it, and I'd put a button there, but you have not yet begun to pray. But you have not yet begun to pray. Prayer's never been easy. Prayer has always been something that you do with passion, with, with earnestness, with strain and stressing and, and a burden. If it's just this nice little thing you do for five minutes, then you're not praying. You're saying your prayers, but you're not praying. You're not stirring the heart of God. That's what prayer's for, to stir the heart of God. You think about it. It's like if uh, you've got a friend who wants you to meet him at a certain place, and, and, uh, but you're busy and you've got too much on, and your friend really wants you to be there. It's really important to him. And he'll come up, please, listen, please. You've got to meet me. I've got something I have to talk to you about. And you go, look, I'm too busy, man. I've got this stuff I've got to do. I've already got plans. I can't break my plans. And he'll go, you don't realize how important this is to me. It's, it's life and death. You know what I mean? And you go, really? Oh, okay, look, 
I tell you what, you get there at four o'clock, I'll do my best. I'll be there. You know what I mean? That's sort of, that's earnest, isn't it? Your friend was earnest. Your friend can turn your plans around if he asks you with earnestness. But you, when you get there, you don't want him to say, oh, the joke's on you, I just wanted to have a coffee with you, mate. You, know, you want it to be real, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And <clears throat> have we got a genuine reason to come to God earnestly to, today or this, 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 these, this time now? Have we got a genuine reason? We've got to be earnest. You've got to, you've got to push God, you know what I mean? You've got to work him over. You know, like the corrupt judge, you know the story of the corrupt judge? And that widow wanted that thing done for her. She wanted justice. She worked that judge over and over and over. And, and God's, God says, you know, and you're not going to corrupt judge. But wear him out. Wear God out with your coming. Wrestle with God. Like Jacob, wrestle with him. And, and, and mean it. Mean it. You know, I've been praying a lot lately. And when I'm praying, there's times where I'll be praying for the things of the church. And, and I try to make that my main focus. While I'm praying for the things of the church, other things come into my mind. And I lose focus and I stop thinking about the church. And I realize it's very easy not to be concerned with God's house very easy to wander away from being concerned about God's house. So my question to you is, is God's house your priority in life? That's an important question. Is God's house, is God's people a priority in your life? Why I say that is because... Is it was Jesus' priority. Jesus was zealous for the house of God. He turned over the tables of the money changers. He made a cords and he whipped, got them all out of there. He was zealous for the house of God. So much so that he laid his life down for the church. So my question to you, is the church a concern of yours? Or do you pray about everything except God's house and God's church? Because if, if you, you need to make sure that like me when I'm praying, that I keep saying to myself, come on, come back to the most important thing. What's my central thing here? I've got some prayers, you know, I've got, a, I've got businesses, I've got family, I've got other things, you know, people with needs and all that. But what is the central focus what should be my central focus in prayer? What should be the thing that my main thrust, and it's, it's the church. It's the church. And I, I say this from an eternal perspective. And what I mean by that is I say it from what matters most to God should matter most to us. Let's ask this question. What does Jesus continually do currently? intercedes doesn't he what's jesus focus he's not getting distracted either not like me he doesn't get distracted from his focus he's interceding for his church so while i'm preaching right now he's interceding for each and every one of you 
He's saying, come on, guys, get it. Get a hold of this vision. Run with it. Write down the vision. Make it plain. So we can run with it. You know what I mean? We've got to run with this. The church is the central focus. The church is what it's all about. This life, if you, if you can sum it up, if you can sum up what life is for, the meaning of life is to see God's church fulfill her mandate. Anything outside of that, and you've been deceived. It's all about this. What was Paul's big burden every day? Constant burden. Or the church. Constantly burdened for the church. Constant. Daniel 9.17, it says, Now our God... Is that right? Yep. Now, our God, hears the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. This sanctuary is not desolate. But it's certainly not, a th- it's not thriving as it should be. Amen. They might have been, he might have prayed that prayer standing in a temple with no one there. You know, so we haven't got that bad. But look with favour upon this. It's like we've just come, we've gone through a desert period, you know, like Moses in the desert. We've gone through a very dry period. And I'm, I'm desperate to get out of it. I'm desperate to see God move. And we need to pray that God hears our prayers. And that he does something about the condition of this church and of this sanctuary. Psalm 145, 145, 18. I'll just read it now. The Lord is near to all who call on him. But again, to all who call on him in truth. You must call on him in truth. That's important. Philippians 4 6, just go forward into the New Testament. 4 6, and it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And we'll just read the next bit as well. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if you want peace, if you want the peace of God that will transcend all understanding, then start praying. Start praying. God knows how to lift you out of your pit. God knows how to lift you out of that feeling like you've, you're sort of just wafting through life. Anyone had that feeling? That, that you're just sort of floating through life every day? And you're just wondering where the days are going? And you're not passionate? Anyone feel lack of passion? Yeah? Start praying. That'll change. Start praying and start praying for the very things that you feel you lack. Say, Lord, make me passionate. Make me passionate for the things of God. Because life can be miserable, can't it? One of the true signs of that is the, the volume of uh, suicides in the world. People 
would rather kill themselves than live another day in this life. It's dreadful. And to me, that's a sign that not just for us to understand how living a life without Christ can be, but it's also how important it is that we live how we're meant to be so that we can help these people, so that we can be a light in a dark place. What does that truly mean to you, to be a light in a dark place? What does that mean? Does it mean what Paul would have it mean? Do you think if Paul walked down into Rundle Mall that no one would notice him? Apart from the fact that he's probably not wearing the same clothes as everybody else. If he was just dressed normally, do you think Paul, by the power of the Holy Spirit within him, would do something in Paul to stir up people in Rundle Mall? Do you think before you know it that he would have a large crowd around him? Do you think that's what the book of Acts told us that he did everywhere he went? In some places, the whole city turned out to hear him. This guy was incredible. He was a magnet. And what I'm saying to you is, that's what you're called to be. You're not called to be anything less. We're called to use that as the springboard for a much greater ministry. So you're meant to have that power. I'm meant to have that power. But we need passion in our life. We need passion to pray. We need, we need to stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. It's, it's to stir yourself up. If you're not stirred up, stir yourself up. Get serious with yourself. Amen? All right. Last one and I'm finished. 1 Timothy. And I've completed the sermon. I don't know how. I must have had you here for an hour. Did it do Colossians? Did I miss the Colossians 4.2? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Timothy 2.8 And, you know, when we're in our worship and sometimes I say to you, you know, lift up your holy hands, this is the scripture. Paul said to Timothy, I want men everywhere, men and women, everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. So he threw that in because he must have been witnessing a lot of disturbances in the church. But we're meant to lift up our holy hands in prayer. We're meant to reach out to God in prayer with our hands. Do you know I find myself... When I'm praying fervently, when I'm praying with a lot of passion, my arms naturally go up. Is anyone like that in prayer? I'll tell you, try this. Try this at home. This will, this will be a good, good way for you to get, on to get into your prayer life. Um, I used to always try sitting down and praying uh, when I'm praying at home. And in a very short amount of time, I'm... Sort of, my eyes start to close. I'm getting a bit weary, and before I know it, I'm wandering my thoughts. And uh, I've even, if I'm up early in the morning, I'm actually falling asleep. Anyone had that experience? I don't do that anymore. I, I walk around when I pray now. I always find a spot. I find a spot in the house. We've got a at the front. I go out and I, I pull the door shut, and I've got the front yard, and I tell Vina to keep the curtains down, and I just walk up and down 
my path at the front of my house. Now, if I can't do that, when, when John's not home, I've got, we've got this long room, and it, John's room is in one, and my study's next to that, and I walk up and down that area as well. But if someone's home, I don't do it because, or if John's there, because it, it'll be really annoying for him to have me walking up and down past him. And I also go outside, and I walk up and down. I just walk back and forth, and I pray. And it, it, you try it. Seriously, you try it. You'll find you'll be able to pray for a lot longer than you have before. You'll find that your prayers will become impassioned. You'll be connected. Your mind will clear. It's like there's, I don't know, it does something to you. You start to get, and there'll be times when you'll have to stop and get on your knees and say, Lord, you know, reach out to him in that way. But being, energizing yourself through that is amazing. So just try that in prayer. I found that very, very beneficial rather than just sitting there and trying to pray that way. I find that to me, puts me to sleep. And as a result, I've been able to pray, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm just saying this simply to let you know so you can see where I'm coming from. I've been able to pray for easily over an hour in the morning and um, up to about an hour at night before bed. And just by the act of doing that, yet before that when I was sitting down in prayer and, and stuff, that I found my, my prayers wouldn't last very long. I'd just drift I'd wander in my thoughts. Yeah? All right. So I hope that's been a blessing to you. We've got, covered a lot of topics today. Um, won't be online for a couple of months, so you can't watch it <laughs> again for a little while. All right. Lord, thank you for this time, and I thank you for every wonderful uh, person here, Lord, and, and how they um, received what I, what I preached, Lord, and I pray that it's been positive for them and, and encouraging and stimulating, and I pray that it really does help every single person here to turn a corner in their faith and start to change their approach, change their outlook, so that they can start taking this faith seriously and start really, uh, really taking a hold of what you have for them and what you have for this church. I pray that the burden for this church will become very strong in everybody's heart, that they'll want to become prayer partners uh, with me and with the church, and that they'll. Um, uh, those that are prayer partners here, that they'll want to pray more and more so that we can start seeing this, this move of the Spirit just come to full bloom in this church. And I pray this in your wonderful name, and I believe, Lord, that you can uh, do wonderful things with the people that are here right now. And I pray that you help us to grow stronger in you, grow more passionate, and uh, be the Christians that we're meant to be and not be anything less than what you've called us to be. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Be with us now as we have some fellowship time and just, uh, just touch us and speak to us, Lord, and just speak, uh, speak to us, uh, each of us, through each other now. May we minister to each other and bring blessings to each other and may we see a spirit of unity moving among us um, at a, in a greater level than we ever have before. And I pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.